Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and on this occasion we'll be looking back at the weekend's action where Hibs lost their unbeaten record at home to Aberdeen. There was two teams who were previously winless who managed to pick up three points for the first time this season and Rangers go into the international break top of the table. So helping me through all of that are Craig Cairns, Graham Thulis and Robert Borthwick. So plenty to come up. We'll show again with Craig Cairns where we will look at St. Johnson against St. Mirren and Kamarnock against Dundee United. Hello, Craig. Thanks for joining me. So let's begin with St. Johnson against St. Mirren. Maybe a, a bit strange to start with just a, a match that was 1-0 uh, when the other game had, had four goals and quite possibly the goal of the season already, uh, even though we're only a month in and only six games in. But... I, the reason I kind of wanted to start with St. Johnson, and I, I think you agree with me, is that despite the fact it was only 1-0 and not even that much of a contest in the sense that I thought that St. Johnson were vastly the better team, but I thought this was probably the most interesting game of the weekend, just kind of from a, from a tactical point of view and kind of how one team looked, one team who'd previously looked quite good so far this season, probably surprisingly good, and another team that had been surprisingly poor, and the kind of roles were reversed on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. I found this one the more interesting out of the two as well. Um, there was much more to say about both teams, I think. Um, and St. Johnston, you're quite right. And Callum Davidson, I mean, St. Johnston are notoriously slow starters anyway when it comes uh, to, to any given season, really. They were like that under right, uh, despite the continuity. I know he kind of ripped it up a wee bit towards the end of his time there. But um, there's been a, a bit, quite a bit of upheaval over the summer a new kind of young manager has come in. And to be fair to him, he stuck by, largely stuck by his principles after quite a poor start to the season. The one game that they did win, they, um, 
he didn't really deserve to win the game and it was swung on a red card and it, it was a game littered with um, defensive errors at, uh, at Rugby Park but yeah he's, kind, he's tweaked it slightly um, but he, he's largely stuck to it he's, he's, he's got one of the fines of the season in um, Danny McNamara and another thing that he stuck with much to the um, chagrin of um, some St Johnston fans going into this game was uh, Craig Conway who's, who's, um, who's paid him back Yes, uh, that's so he has basically stuck to his principles in that he's kept a, a three-to-back system. Now, I did, well, I did watch the Hibs game. It was the only game I watched last weekend, and uh, when I had the weekend off because of my birthday, and I was watching the pub, so I wasn't really entirely paying attention to St. Johnson's formation and whatnot. Uh, do you remember, did they play a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2? Because this against the men was definitely a 3-5-2, but it had been 3-4-3 up until then. Well, the start of the season, it looked like he had started with two strikers, wasn't it? But now it looks like he's gone with more like two tens behind a striker. Mm, uh, no, I, I would disagree with that. The kid of the weekend. So what he did at the start of the season, he was starting with Hendry, and he was starting with two players in the kind of wider positions, kind of either side of him. So it was Wotherspoon and O'Halloran on the first day. So both of them played as number tens. Now you could say that. Uh, they played that again Saturday, but I think there was a difference. I think there was a fundamental difference in that Conway was undeniably the number 10 in the team. And I don't think you'd seen that before. I think you'd seen supporting strikers uh, alongside Hendry, in that meaning when they didn't have the ball, these guys like Wotherspoon, like O'Halloran, would drop back into kind of wing positions. And this is my kind of problem with the 3-4-3 in Scottish football. And that because a lot of the teams play quite direct and quite fast, I don't think it's a system that necessarily lends itself to good attacking football in this league. And just by one slight alteration, so it kind of was with two players dropping off the front line because Halloran was doing a lot of that and Hendry was staying up. But their kind of natural shape, like when they didn't have the ball, like the way they would line up for kickouts and stuff, was with two guys at the front and Conway in behind in the hole. And I think that just worked a lot better because, firstly, I think Conway played very well, was very intelligent at picking up space. I don't really, I can't, I watched them play at Salford in that game we went to uh, on, on my stag do, and I, I wasn't impressed with him then. It, it was clear to see that at 34, I think he is, that his explosiveness is gone and he's not really got much left in the tank as a, as a winger, especially what the player he used to be. But it's obviously a guy who's played for a number of years in the championship. I'm sure, <clears throat> I'm sure he even had a... Uh, a season or two in, in the English Premier League as well. Obviously, Scotland International. Uh, he's, he's obviously picked up a wealth of knowledge in the game, and I think you can see it from his performance in that position. But the reason I also like it as well is because I think when you just when you when you have it where you've got three guys who are just a bit more central at the tip of your attack rather than kind of having two who could flank out like they did early in the season, I think it just means that you're naturally a more attacking team because those forwards aren't going to drop out to the wings. And the number 10 will drop back and help out, but he can easily go between the two. So I just thought they were just set up a lot more attacking in this game. And I think it showed in the performance. They only scored one goal. And the second half, they could maybe be a little bit disappointed that they didn't create too many more chances up until May scored. And then they had another one with Danny McNamara, which I think Anik made a really good save at. But the first half, especially, they were all over something and created numerous opportunities and could have really been two or three up by half time. Yeah, definitely. Um, Hendry missed a, a, a glorious chance, a free header 
in the box. And there was a couple others. He was unlucky with one before that uh, when he robbed McCarthy of the ball. Yeah, I've just looked it up there. I, that, I, I was wrong there. I think it was towards the end of last season when they were playing two up front, wasn't yeah. it? And it started to get a wee bit of success from that. So yeah, he's going looked, back to Tommy Wright's blueprint, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it, looks, it looks like um, he did start the season with, with, with front threes, yeah, with, with the two wingers either side of Hendry. But yeah, Going back to O'Halloran quickly, I, I wasn't entirely sure watching the game whether he had started up front or whether he had started as a 10. I, I, I kind of put in my notes that it looked like it was more like two 10s, but I think it was quite telling that he was uh, one of the players that came off because as good as St. Johnston were for parts of this game, he was, he was, he was one of the weaker of the of the attacking players. I thought uh, Wotherspoon had a very good game. McCann had one of his quieter games that I've yeah. watched St. Johnston in recent times. You could hear the coaching staff shouting at him to get forward at points in the second half. Um, but there was also times when he was just being marked out the game. But that, that kind of freed up Wotherspoon and I thought he had a really good game. Um, and yeah, like we said, Conway looked good. Henry on another day could and probably should have a couple of goals. He, uh, he really needs a goal right now, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so, yeah. He was unlucky with that first one. Yeah, um, it's a good save by Anik. Yeah, and who's been, I know we'll come to some minute, but he, he's been one of, he's been a very good sign in this season as well, Anik. And he had a, he had a good game in this. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, going back to, so you mentioned the attackers. I thought, I don't think a Halloran was too bad. He, he was, he was involved. I think he, he picked up some nice pockets of space at some time. He was certainly not, I can agree that maybe at the attack, he was probably one of the weaker players. You probably mentioned Danny McNamara, who was involved in everything again, down the right, just constantly. But the man's enthusiasm for getting on the ball and his stamina to just charge up and down all game long is quite something. I wasn't too sure of him coming into things when we kind of looked at the players before the start of the season, kind of scouting them on Scout. Uh, but my kind of to, to throw myself a little bit of sympathy, I was kind of more concerned with the fact that I didn't really like the look of him as a defensive fullback. Mm. Uh, he seemed to fall asleep quite a lot, and I think we've seen that as well already. I think in the, the game against Rangers, he was at fault for both goals. But as a as an attacking wing back, so obviously wing back, you don't necessarily have to be that great defensively. You got that extra cover behind you, and. Going forward, he just he's just so involved in everything. It's incredible. But to go back to Codway, his his movement, and before St Mirren changed their shape, uh, because St Mirren lined up in a three five two, which I was pretty surprised at. I thought their team looked set up to be a four four two, but they went with three at the back, and it certainly didn't work in terms of keeping Codway quiet in that opening period because he was just involved in, in about everything that, that St John's done. Had the freedom to move from right to left. Uh, just making intelligent runs off the ball, uh, picking up in pockets of space. He was kind of, I felt, the kind of main reason why they were able to pin St Mirren back for a lot of the game. Uh, and, I mean, St Mirren, as well, I'm sure we'll get on to talking about soon, were partially involved <laughs> for that as well. Uh, but certainly, it seems like Davidson has found a, a remedy to St Johnson's early season ills. Yeah, well, he forced... Um... He forced Goodwin into a first-half tactical change. And partly, was what you were saying there, was Conway Conway was dropping as deep as the halfway line and beyond sometimes to, to turn on the ball. And I mean, he's really good at a drop of the shoulder and turning and finding a, finding a bit of space and then picking out a pass. Um, and McNamara as well, he was saying after the game that he's getting used to playing a bit more further forward. So I took from that that he has spent most of his career as a 
just a right back. Yeah, I think uh, I think so. I think that's why I looked at him, and that's why I was a bit concerned. I was like, oh, no, look at this guy. Can he yeah, can he really he defend like, that well? He looks like he's got a bit of everything. He's linking up well on the right there. In this game, you saw Kerr bursting forward as like Hanlon did for um, Hibbs a couple of seasons ago when he was playing as part of the back three, just like charging up the right wing, obviously on the other side, charging up the right wing and, and sometimes putting crosses in and things like that. Yeah, it looks like um, it looks like they've, he's really struck upon something here, Davidson. And he's obviously well thought of as a, as a coach in the game. Um, and he just needs his... He just needs these players to start finishing some of these chances because uh, some of them were, were guilt edge and they should have they should have been comfortable by half time really. And I think uh, moving the system as well away for the three into the, the two up front means that there's means that there's room for Stevie May to come in because I was kind of wondering before then I was like is he going to play May? I mean I suppose he could play May as a, a kind of number ten as somebody that would drop out to the wing because Aberdeen could have used them as somebody like that just asked them to do like a shitload of work and not necessarily have to. You know, care as much about scoring goals, but the way that May played towards the end of last season, you kind of want him to get his goal scoring confidence again to see if he can come anywhere close to being as deadly as he used to. He's never going to really do that again because he has lost a bit of his explosiveness, but he still should be doing. You know, should be scoring more goals than he has since he came back to Scotland. And it was good to see, even though Hendry's struggling for a goal and desperately needs one, it was good to see May, who's missed most of the season through injury so far, to come off the bench and to. Just show that kind of predatory instinct getting into the... First of all, helping to set up the move by contesting the initial header and then just getting himself in a good position to get on the end of... I um, can't remember who played it in now. Was it Conway? Conway. Yeah. Yeah, they seem to have three forwards like that, to be honest. Three forwards that are uh, always always kind uh, of searching for that next goal that will hopefully kick them on and, and, and put them on like a... You know, what I mean, a great goal scoring season, but I don't know. They always seem to do it, St Johnston. They, they seem to be season after season get written off early in the season, and then and then somehow pull it round. Right, we've talked about the good. Let's get to the bad. St Mirren, fucking hell! I was really frustrated by a lot of this performance. Firstly, start at the start. That lineup for Goodwin was just wrong. Um, the the fact that the fact that Conway got so much space as well is almost maybe a head scratcher and maybe he's a bit frustrated at that because they're, they're playing with Sharon and Foley so it basically means they're playing with two defensive midfielders in that three in the in the centre of the park and for them to not really get anywhere near Conway or O'Halloran whenever he dropped into space was a bit weird um, but there was that was so that's not really his fault but things that were his fault Jamie McGrath at right wing back I thought was a bit of a waste but not as they were near as bad as Ilkay Dermis as a left wing back who didn't track a man fucking all day. That was, I think that was also partially a reason for, for the formation change is just that Danny McNamara was just continually just getting so much space in the right. Uh, the first half, St. Johnson must have had about like 10 promising opportunities just coming from that right side because Dermis just, you know, continuous ball watching, just not following his man. And it was just, it was pretty pish for the start. Seems to be quite a um, in vogue formation this season to have a back three with two wingers at wing back. Yeah, didn't didn't work for someone. Both, both. <laughs> McGrath's not even a winger, is he? He's played yeah. started, started the season in number ten. Yeah, I, th- I think he can play both. But um, okay. and then later on in the game, they bring on Connolly for his debut, and within minutes, he's playing right back because Fraser's gone off injured. Um, yeah, I, I believe both Hibbs and Aberdeen did that yesterday as well, didn't they? Back threes were, were wingers. Uh, what did Hibbs? Wing well, Hibbs kind of played that lopsided 4-2-3-1. Uh, Doig uh, is a left back. Or something. Uh, he, was play, he was playing very high up. Um, 
Yeah, because Aberdeen had uh, Hayes and... Uh, Kennedy. Yes. But yeah, and Samirin, keeping the ball has been a wee bit of a, an issue for them. And it was again, again in this game. And that changed when... I mean, to be fair to good, when he changed it and he did start to keep the ball a lot better yeah. when uh, McPherson came on. I really do like McPherson. He looks like a good wee player. It, it makes you question why he didn't start the match. But um, it didn't matter how much of the ball they had. They just they just couldn't get their forwards into the game. Abika was anonymous. Mariah's gotten the ball a wee bit more, but he just looks like he doesn't have it. And I, I think you're um, I think you're being kind on Abika because I wouldn't call him anonymous. I would call him pish. <laughs> he just he just like. He was just never on the ball. I mean, I know the every time he was on the ball, he fucking lost it. He just bounced off of it. He was rotten. I, I don't think he was given much, to be honest. But yeah, I don't know. Samirin had, like I say, Samirin started to, they had a good spell either side of half time uh, of possession, but they, they just they just struggled. I mean, they were even worse when McAllister was on the pitch. I mean, McAllister's had quite a decent start to the season from what I've seen as well. And um, I thought he was anonymous. Yeah, it was, yeah. I know, but. I just feel like the setup was. Goodwin said after the game that they just weren't good enough. He didn't. He didn't quite take any responsibility for it himself. But I don't know you've really got to question the setup there. And what's Richard Tate got to do to play in his real position in Scotland? Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, you question why Motherwell have let him go. Um, looking at the start, Motherwell have had. I know he didn't play for much for them towards the end of his spell there. But uh, he's gone to St Mirren and he's ex- exactly the same. He's getting played at left back to plug a gap, and now he's, he's he finds himself in a back three for this game. And yeah. Well, that was that was thing that didn't. That was another thing. That was something that you can definitely criticise. <clears throat> another thing you can criticise Goodwin for is that they had changed. They, they moved to the four-one-four-one. They were keeping the ball a bit better. They, they were, you know, stifling St Johnson a bit more than they had been. It was starting to look like they could maybe, you know, actually be competitive in this game as they hadn't been beforehand. And then they get the Fraser injury. Now you've got Ethan Erehon on the bench. Now he's not a natural left back, but he has played there before. He's done a not bad job there before. He's Definitely not his right position. He's not great defensively. He is a centre midfielder. But like I say, he's got experience there. I mean, needs must. Throw him a left back. Stick Richard Tate at right back. Keep the same formation. Instead, they have to go back to the three at the back. And that's kind of what cost him the goal as well. Because as soon as... I think it was a right-sided centre back is the one that challenges May for the ball. And then because he's kind of run out to make the challenge, as soon as Perfect. the second ball's won and it goes in behind him, there's no full-back to cover. And that gives Conway the, the run on them, and that's that's what leads to the goal. Yeah, they they had of their back four at that point. They had two defenders in their back four, and one of them was in his correct position. And even then, McCar- McCarthy was the only one in his correct position, and he had a bit of a nightmare in the game. To be honest, he got robbed within the first couple of minutes. Got robbed for that Hendry chance. No, no, sorry. Within a couple of minutes, he almost got caught on the ball and got yeah. away with it. And then a few minutes after that, he got caught on the ball for that Henry chance. I think there was one or two other players that nearly got caught in the ball as well for something. And you're, I was kind of like, why? Why are you taking so many touches at the back? Especially when all they were really doing was knocking along to Marais. Yeah, I think they were maybe just desperate to get a bit of possession because they were, they were, yeah, they were, they were being absolutely uh, overrun in the middle of the park. And that's that's like another problem as well with their, their front two. So, the, the, the major problem is that Marais doesn't really score. And now he has he has played reasonably well to start the season. He's worked quite hard. I, I felt even in this game, he didn't have a bad game. He only lasted 45 minutes. But I think that was a victim of kind of circumstance and Goodwin wanting to change the formation rather than anything else. Because for the last... Because he changed it before halftime. 
And for the last, you know, however many minutes of the half, Marais was just stuck out in the wing, which is obviously not his position. So obviously Goodwin wanted to bring on an actual, you know, wide player for that. But Marais, so he, I thought he, he worked hard. I thought when he, I thought he held the ball reasonably well, especially for a guy his size. I mean, to be fair, he's like he's like a muscle hamster, isn't he? He's like <laughs> short, but he's absolutely built like fuck. Uh, and he was linking well with teammates. And But the problem with that is that, and he's been doing that quite well this season. So when Abika has been scoring goals this campaign, which I think he's got two so far, then that does kind of work in that you've got the guy doing a lot of the work and then you're, you're leaving your, your boy up front to, to get on the score sheet. But I think we know that Abika's not going to be like a 15-20 goal a season striker. And you can't really have him being your goal-getter playing with a, alongside a forward. Is I think Marais could literally play all season would probably only score about three times you, you just can't have that especially when you're kind of already lacking kind of much from the rest of the team I mean who else in St Mirren's side can you even kind of hang on to score goals now they've brought in the other forward with the bloody yeah. hell was his name Dennis oh yeah Dennis yeah he had a, a decent turn and shot at one point that was uh, not long after St Johnson scored I thought fuck if he scores there this would be an absolute travesty but, yeah, I wonder if we can start to maybe see him and, and Abika starting to work together. Because I thought it was quite weird, this game, that, like, I was impressed with Abika last year because not only did he chip in with, you know, 10 goals or whatever, including the crucial one against Hearts in the final game, he also held the ball up really well in a lot of games. Now, he was rubbish at holding the ball up against St. Johnston. But that's typically his, his kind of game, is certainly a big part of it. And if you're going to have to have him trying to stretch the fences while you're having somebody else hold it up. I don't think that just works too well. Even yeah. though it would be harsh for Marais to drop up the way he's going to play at the moment. But I just, if he can't score goals, you just, your patience can only go so far. Well, that's their big issue. Uh, Dennis has clearly been brought in to be the prolific scorer. He, he's, got, um, he's got a decent record. It's just whether it translates up here. And players from a similar level have come up and both flopped and gone on to be a huge success. So it could go either way. But that is St Mirren's big issue. I mean, you, the back three didn't work for them, clearly. They had a makeshift defence when they conceded the goal in this, but that's been the bedrock of the success so far this season, is um, they, they, they sorely miss Shaughnessy. But they, they've, and, and Fraser's gone off in this game. I mean, they've, they look like they've brought in a good goalkeeper, they've brought in some good defenders, and they look really solid back there. Even McCarthy, I know he didn't look very good in this game, but he has been pretty impressive since he came in. But that just, that by the end of this game, that had all gone to shit. But that's that's been the bedrock of their success. They've, I know the league's a wee bit all over the place with how many teams have played and that kind of thing. But only Celtic Rangers and Aberdeen have conceded fewer than St Mirren. But on the flip side of that, only the bottom two have scored fewer. I think that might be. Uh, that, would that have changed? By no, that, I don't think that has changed because uh, none of the teams at the bottom uh, played yesterday. So yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show you that. That is their big issue. Their big issue is getting the ball in the net. Whether Dennis is the guy that's going to do that, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Right, let's move on to the game at Rugby Park. Uh, Kelly Ford did the right nil, but scoreline, uh, maybe a little bit flattering on uh, Kilmarnock. Maybe a better way of saying that is that it was definitely harsh on, on Dundee United. They, they didn't play like the... Look at watching the performance back. It wasn't a performance from a team you would usually associate with a side that loses four 0 away from home. I think um, pretty poor defending at points, but overall they didn't give too bad an account of themselves. I think 
they were they did play into Achilles' hands a little bit, and that there was a lot of kind of knocking position about between defenders without any kind of penetration or, or taking too long to try that penetration. But they, they were still getting some joy once it went forward. I thought Clark linked surprisingly well with the midfielders. I saw Mickey Clark as a lone striker. I was like, well, how the hell is that going to work? But Tim dropping deep, he was quite good at knocking the ball at the wing to, to look Bolton. I thought that guys like Bolton, Harks, uh, Logan Chalmers, you've got players who can, who, can beat, who can beat opponents and you know drive through the lines. And I thought they had some threatening moments because of that as well. But yeah, they're just, as I said, defensively, they were pretty, pretty poor in this game. I'm going to disagree slightly. I think um, I've said some of the things I was going to say there, but um, I think that I, I wasn't impressed with United much at all. I, I mean, you can have two-thirds of the possession, but that's no good if you're just knocking it about between your back four and then lumping it into the channels, which is what they did for a lot of this game. Um, Chalmers didn't get into the game. Pollitt was rightfully taken off at half time because he was doing nothing. Yeah, he's anonymous. Uh, yeah, I, I just... And like you say, they played into Killy's hands because Killy will, Killy will take that all day. Killy will defend the lead from half time all day, and um, and they're a good counter attacking team. And even in the first half, they were that. That's what I mean. The first two goals come from throw-ins, but they were they were happy to kind of keep their shape and hit them on the break. And yeah, I, I just think that they defended so poorly that I'm not surprised they conceded four goals because they were shocked. I mean, I, I, Connolly. I know he's had a decent start to the season, but it's starting to look a bit bizarre that he's been given a contract till what is it three years or something like that? He's he's signed up for, and there's I didn't been even know that. there's been question marks about him before. Um, you can maybe say the pitch is a bit of a factor. I'm not trying to make an excuse for Dundee United here, but they had a lot of players slipping. There was a lot of players slipping in this game, um, not just Connolly for the goal, but there was somebody in the build-up to that, like the other end of the pitch, just as. Dundee United lost the ball, somebody else slipped. There was a few times that did happen. So I do think Mellon's comments after the game about, I don't know if he used the word dominated and stuff. I mean, okay, you can have the ball a lot, but that doesn't mean you're dominating the game if you're not creating anything. I mean, they had five times more penalty shouts in the second half than they did shots, I think, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Did you get any more penalties? Nah, I didn't see any that I thought were. I mean, a couple, a couple hit hands, but I mean, it's like the one that St. Johnston claimed in the first half when... Uh, came off Tate's hand it clearly comes off his hand and it's going on target but it's about a yard away from Tate when it's kicked you can't give a penalty for that and I think it's the same with the Di Camona one um, his arm's out a little bit but it's behind it's, it's like behind him that goes the ball goes behind his back and plus the, I don't think there's enough of a distance between where the ball's kicked from and Di Camona's hand for that to be a penalty Broadfoot, Broadfoot similarly kicks it off his own hand so that can't be one Um there's a couple others that I think were just stabs in the dark as claims, to be honest. But um, no, I didn't see any of them as penalties, no. Uh, yeah, we do disagree with United. I thought first 50 minutes, I thought United played reasonably well. I think they really didn't do enough maybe after that. Uh, but, you know, you have 2-0 down away from home. So I, I kind of want to cut them a little bit more slack. Because even like looking up like towards half time. So in the last 50 minutes of the first half, there was like... So after sorry, after Kelly's goal, so Kelly opened the score, and that's it's a, again a pretty shit goal to lose. Um, uh, with like basically Kelly getting two bites of the cherry to have Waters whipping across the second one finds Kabamba, good header. Then after that, three header. Yeah, Kelly go uh, United go right down the other end. Uh, Clark has a overhead kick. Then you have 
Uh, about 10 minutes later, Clark has a header over. Connolly has a header. They, they were kind of looking like they, they did have the chance to, to get back into things. And then just while you're thinking, right, halftime, we're, we're, in, the, we're in the wee bit of an ascendancy. We're probably playing uh, probably their best spell of the game. And then Brophy gets the second goal. And again, defending was, was pretty poor. Um, one thing about the second goal, which was one of the... One of the many things that uh, impressed me about Kelly's performance was Gary Dicker kind of knocking the ball into kind of into an area again quite quickly. So it was, I think it was a, a free kick or a throw or something that was that was kind of cleared towards him, and he just quickly knocked it kind of an up and under, knocked it back in. Kelly gets the header on, good run for Brophy and great finish, and, and Dicker kind of. I don't think he's had initially a great start to this season so far, but that looked like his best game, and that, that was a part of it. He was he wasn't looking too slow on the ball. Is he kind of? I think that's maybe the problem. He's looked a little rusty to begin the season, and maybe because of his age, that's the that's part of the kind of you know the, the hangover from being so many months out without football. Is that you know somebody in their thirties who's you know not exactly blessed with great athleticism, anyways, is going to take a little bit of time to get up to speed. But uh, I thought, just in terms of kind of quickness, I thought he was he was much better in this game. But yeah, so for United's point of view, they lose that. That's it, kind of at halftime. Second half, they change things. They go four four two. I thought they had a wee bit of initial kind of pressure. Uh, Butcher shot wide, and then Connolly headed over, and then Clark a shot over the bar. But I think after that, maybe Kelly were a little bit at sixes and sevens over their kind of formation change. But then for that point forward, United didn't create anything. And Kelly, you could even see before Kabamba's goal that killed it off that they were kind of sensing that we could kill this game off. They started to kind of come out a bit more and were pressing higher up the park and had a few more kind of opportunities around about United's penalty area before they eventually made it certain. I think uh, Apere definitely gave them uh, the Kelly defence a bit more to think about and you could see that... um... Not Pollock, because he went off. Um, the other two, Butcher and Harks, were definitely more positive on the ball um, from the start of the second half. They were they were being much more forward-thinking when they were getting on it. And you could see that they were kind of taking the play one side and then hitting long diagonals. And they, they got a couple of successful. And I think Connolly hit a really nice pass out to, out to I think it was Robson, that um, had gone on the overlap on the left side. So you did see things were kind of starting to happen a bit more. But... I don't know. They had a lot of shots in this game, but I, I just don't think they were efficient at all. In front, of, I mean, I think they had one shot on target for the entire game or something like that. Would, and that would, you, would you at least agree with me that it was a bit harsh that they got beat 4-0? Yeah, I think 4-0 is a little bit <laughs> harsh. But at the same time, I think that, um, like we've already said, that kind of played into, uh, that, that played into Killy's... I mean, Killy are happy to not have the ball yeah. for large parts of the game. They're a very good team at doing that. And they were, they were, they were very happy just to kind of keep their shape and, and wait for their opportunities. And when we looked at the lineups before the games and we were discussing it, it looked like, well, how's that Killy midfield going to cope with Dundee United with a, the extra number in there? And because Dundee United have looked pretty decent this season. But in the end, it came down to, I mean, the, Killy's discipline and shape were better and they were just they were Tishbola and Dicker were just more quality and and Burke, Burke and um, Kilty played fairly narrow I know Kilty got forward a bit more Kilty was brilliant actually he was yeah, involved he was. In the goals and he was winning balls in the air against uh, six foot three Nielsen it's, uh, for one of the goals as well ah yeah he was I thought Kilty was very good um, I also thought that Kabamba was excellent uh, throughout the match he was just such a handful and just. 
coming back as well because he was the first time the season they managed to pair it with Brophy. I like the fact that uh, before the game, Alex Dyer chose his words quite well. I think he kind of made it seem like it was his decision that they'd only been playing with one up front all season, uh, that he was being more conservative and he's like, no, we're going to go for it today. Uh, we're going to play two up top. And I thought really what he actually meant to say was, I've not played with uh, two up top so far this season because I've only got two good strikers. <laughs> one of them's injured. <laughs> one of them's coming back to fitness. Yeah, it made such a difference. It really made such a difference. Uh, yeah, I think that's all. No, one other thing I was going to say. It's just funny to see whenever Kelly won the ball uh, and like, you know, about to launch a counter attack. It's just like every time. It's, where is Chris Burke? <laughs> it doesn't matter where they win the ball. Where is Chris Burke? Give it to Chris Burke. Um, and just before we finish off with this, if that's what we're doing, um, the goal, yeah, the fourth goal was oh, just... Oh, fuck, I was... How did we nearly not talk about that? Just, yeah. Uh, there was... I, th- I think it was Ron McLean, but then I don't know if it actually was. It was one of the commentators or one of the kind of side, or like sideline reporters of the BBC at the game, uh, maybe Scott David, not too sure. It just seemed quite incredulous that... Michael Stewart and Billy Dodds were saying it was a goal of the season contender and then like they made like like sneering references to it like a couple of times after like nominated as goal of the season by our team as if it was like this weird thing it was like what if I know it's only August but I mean it's surely a contender for goal of the season we've, we've seen enough Scottish Premiership campaigns to know there's going to be fucking many better goals than that because not only is it just an outrageous finish for, to, to hit the ball like that for the edge area so like the coolest finish ever but I mean, it was just, it wasn't even just like a chip with like a goalie miles off his line. The goalie was in a decent spot. It had to be perfect. It had to be like that perfectly weighted kind of, you know, medium between a chip, uh, kind of a float and kind of a shot with enough power. He just gets it absolutely spawned. But even apart from that, it was a great counter attack. Dicker, you know, gets the ball near the edge of his own box under pressure. Cooley just plays it to Kabamba. He gets away from a guy, takes the ball forward, plays it to Pinnock. First time pass across to Kilty. Kilty takes a couple of touches, rolls it perfectly in the path of McKenzie. Even before that, even if I was finishing that sentence by saying, rolls it in the path of McKenzie to tap five yards, it'd still be a great goal. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a great goal even before the outrageous finish. You'll get lots of goals over the season that have got incredible finishes. And like you say, you'll get some that are great at counter-attacking moves, but there'll be a ball across goal and a tapping or something like that. But to get both just makes it yeah, a sensational goal. And Neil McCann also said that it's one of those ones that you that you try and train in every now and again to noise up the noise up the goalkeeper and stuff. And I suppose if it hadn't been three 0 and late in the game, then McKenzie maybe doesn't try that kind of. He, he definitely would not have tried. <laughs> no one, Rory McKenzie, the guy who scored about seven career goals. I don't think he would have done it if it was nil nil. It was a, yeah, it was a sensational goal. <laughs> maybe he should do. <laughs> and like um, Carson made one of the saves of the season on the opening day, I believe it was against County. I mean, I'm not against labelling something yeah. something of the season if it happens in the first couple of games. There's, the, I mean, it's allowed to happen at any yeah. point. Like I say, we've, we've watched enough of it to know that it's going to be there. Like, if that goal was scored at the English Premier League, it'd probably be there by the end of the season. So we don't fuck it in Scotland it's going to be. Yeah. Right. Thank you very much for joining me, Craig. I'll let you get over the rest of your day. Cheers. And now I am joined by Graham Thulis, and we're going to talk through the next two games, which is Hibs against Aberdeen and Livingston against Ross County. Now, Livingston-Ross County wasn't great. 
So let's start with a game that was a, a bit more entertaining, although it kind of died a, a wee bit in the second half. That was a game at Easter Road on Sunday evening. Hibs losing their unbeaten record to start the campaign and Aberdeen making it three wins in a row after the whole, you know, COVID-8 thing. Graham, what did you think of this? Is it possible that the Naughty Dons are actually, like, whisper it, quite exciting? Like, quite a good watch in a way in which the Dons haven't been for about three years? Well, let me... Let me both agree and take exception to you. Uh, firstly, I think it's too early to say that because they were fucking rotten uh, to watch against St. Johnson. Uh, they really didn't do much at all of note in the first half against Livingston. And yes, the first half on Saturday, I thought the first half was a very good game, a very good game to watch. And the second half, not so much. And it's, it's fair enough to Aberdeen. It's not the biggest criticism you're going to throw at them by saying that they, they scored, the, scored the goal they needed in the first half. And then the second half, they basically just killed the game. Held Hibs at arm's length the entire time. Hibs really didn't look like scoring at any point. The longer the game went on, like the last 10 minutes, you maybe expected a bit of drama, but you just kind of thought, especially with no fans there, and you know, missing that kind of extra adrenaline boost that a home crowd roaring you on in, in the final minutes of a game will have, that it just it looked like no way the Hibs were going to get back in it. And that is a credit to Aberdeen because they defended very well and they were you know very disciplined. But... I still wouldn't call them in any way an exciting attacking team until they show it for 90 minutes. <laughs> or Derek McInnes, or, or should I say, until Derek McInnes lets them do it for 90 minutes. Because they were, they were fun to watch in the first half of this game. I, I quite liked their setup. It was incredibly attacking. And in you had a 3-5-2 where you had two out-and-out wingers, really, and Johnny Hayes and Matt Kennedy on the wings. And you also had Scott Wright playing in the centre midfield three. And two strikers. So, I mean, for Aberdeen, I mean, holy fuck, that's, that's a lot of attacking players. And then, like, even then, even then, the defensive midfielders are um, McCrory and Ferguson. Ferguson can get forward and do stuff. And McCrory, while he is kind of noted as being a, a defensive player, is somebody that can drive forward. Uh, he's not, you know, like Greg Dockery style, but he can, you know, he's, he's got enough kind of physical, athletic attributes. And he's, you know, previously played at right back where he's happy to, to take the ball and move it and progress it towards the opposition goal, which kind of makes him a different sort of player and weirdly maybe an actually more interesting player to watch than somebody like Funzo Ojo, who mainly just kind of passes it sideways. Yeah, and very much so. The big thing for this game, I kind of took away from, I spoke to Tom a little bit about it as well, just to make sure I wasn't being daft, um, as none of my sentences make sense anymore because I just don't sleep. So yeah. I, I do my very best. We'll see how we go. That's but, fine. That's fine, Papa Thulis. <laughs> more than anything else, like the, the signing of McCrory, um, kind of highlighted not only it highlighted massively the issues that Hibs have at the moment which we'll come on to as well but more than anything it highlights the possibility of Lewis Ferguson and, and Lewis Ferguson is someone that I've always really enjoyed someone I've always really rated as a player and that I feel that he has the ability to play as a 6 an 8 or a 10 in, in the centre of the park and having McCrory there gives him that sort of freedom and the ability to do that. So in, the sim, in a similar sort of way as to how Ken, it took Kenny McLean quite a while to figure out quite what type of midfielder he was for Aberdeen and a lot of the time because Lewis Ferguson is standing next to somebody like Funzo Ojo he can only really do one bit of that um, or any of the various other central midfielders he's, he's had stand by side of at Aberdeen as well but having McCrory there, there's just a really nice balance between two of them and it's a really sort of simplistic thing in terms of one goes one stays and it, I think it for both of them, you're going to get the best out of them. You saw a number of times McCrory taking the ball and just sort of busting out of midfield as well which again is kind of why I think it was multi played at centre-half at Rangers because they wanted that sort of ball playing centre-half as well. 
So he's clearly got the ability there, and I think it really does benefit all of them. But coming back to the first half as well, I just found Aberdeen really good to watch. Like, like you say, having so many attacking players on the field, you had Wright popping up on the right, on the left, you had Watkins popping up whenever Hedges coming centrally and then going wide, Hayes and Ferguson, or Hayes and Kennedy getting up and down as well to support, and then you've got Ferguson or McCrory coming out of there. And even from the back three and Hoban, McKenna and Constantine, because of that, the way that that's set up, again, Something I'd, I'd felt and Tom sort of backed me up on and the, the fact that McInnes has been desperate for Aberdeen to play a back three kind of forever. And every time he gets to just about having them ready to do that, somebody gets injured or it falls apart or whatever else. But the three that he's got now in Holman, McKenna and Considine, it kind of benefits all of them because while Considine is very good at getting forward because he's played so fucking long at left back, McKenna has a capability to get forward um, from a centre half position. But Always feels a bit. It always feels a bit reticent from him because he knows that somebody standing next to him isn't quite as comfortable with it. So now he can do it when it fits, as opposed to just doing it all the time, which was McKenna seemed to or McKenna seemed to be asking him to do it. And Hoban as well just looks like a really sensible player in there as well. So the setup, it's it's funny that that Aberdeen have come across this, given that on the opening day of the season you looked at them and Aberdeen are so boring. There's nothing interesting about their team at all. And then suddenly with the addition of Hoban coming back fit, McCrory coming in and obviously Watkins, be, Watkins being signed and Hedges coming back into the fold as well, they just look a completely different proposition as well now, which is, I presume for Aberdeen fans, at least vaguely exciting given that last year it was essentially creativity came from uh, Niall McGinn or it didn't come. Um, so yeah. having that sort of flexibility that it gives McGinn, who is still a good player, a rest and a bit of a time to not have to play every game and, ha- and carry that sort of weight of it. And there are so many attacking players in that team lineup who also are capable of doing the defensive side of the game and the things that McInnes wants out of his team. It makes them a different proposition in terms of just shutting down one player or two player because if you can't do that with Aberdeen anymore and at some point, ideally Sam Crosgrove will be fit as well which then gives them a focal point which maybe they lacked a little bit on Sunday as well but there's just a lot of different options in there which I thought was it was the most interesting I've, most interested I've been in Aberdeen in a while I know the Aberdeen fans are quite happy as well that it is a player like Marley Watkins starting up front as opposed to Sam Crosgrove or Curtis Main uh, you know more or kind of you know battler kind of target man type of big guy up there Watkins more about pace and I think because of that, they're kind of forced to to not go as long as they would do. And I think the kind of two players working behind Watkins and Hedges was, you know, supposed to be alongside them, but mainly just kind of dropped off the front and and linked with Scott Wright quite a lot. But with Watkins' quickness and movement, and you know that we saw the ability when he was at Inverness the last time, he was quite you know pretty much a, a kind of bog standard winger, and then yeah started to improve, and then really kind of shot off when he was played through the centre, and that. Uh, to me, is his best position, and I was impressed with him. I think he he also leads the the line well for the front. So the it's, it kind of forces them into playing less kind of agricultural football. But at the same time, I think they still should be fairly decent to watch once Cosgrove comes back, or whether he wants to insert Main into the starting eleven at the expense of Hedges, or or right and move Hedges back, because even if they do go a bit more direct at times with Watkins pace alongside a striker who can make things difficult for a defence they should still be an interesting attacking proposition there might not be as many triangles as they played on Sunday but they should still be a team that rack up the goals and that's kind of what you're now looking for them to do you know they've got three victories in a row but they've only scored four goals 
in four games. So you kind of, with all their attacking firepower, that's the next step for this team to take. And to, to kind of lay down a marker as well, just to show that everybody, because I think a lot of people, including myself, are saying like, ah, probably Hibs is year for third this year. Aberdeen will be there or thereabouts. But and if they really go and soon and you know stick three or four goals past someday, then all of a sudden we'll be back saying, ah, here we go. <laughs> Aberdeen are on the march. Yeah, I think, and again, the, the the thing that was highlighted most in this game coming out of Hibernian was how impro- important it was getting Ab- Aberdeen getting McCrory as opposed to Hibs on the basis that obviously Gogic had his positive negative test, whatever that means. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I understand, but I'm 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 not, I'm not going to argue it. You don't have COVID, so you're not allowed to play. Seems fair enough. Seems entirely reasonable. Um, and then you saw Melker Halberg came back come back in, and it immediately sort of felt a bit more hecky uh, again just as Hibs just didn't have somebody to go winning the ball in midfield which is exactly what they missed all last season what they've had at the start of this season I've kind of had a feeling for Hibs this season as well that while they've been good they felt quite similar to Motherwell last season for me and that a lot of the games with the exception of Livingston aside which I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago and that Livy was the disaster on the day have kind of felt that they've been decided on the odd goal or the odd moment within a game and they've been going for Hibs and they've been picking up the points whereas very similar to Motherwell last year there was a bunch of games we shouldn't have won and did um, or a bunch of games that should have been won nothing ended up nothing each or whatever else and that seems that, that feels different for us this year and for Hibs they're just on the other side of that coin at the moment and taking Gogic out of the team they just looked so sort of passive in it as well. They didn't they didn't feel like they were they didn't feel like they were winning the battle in midfield at any point. And I found it kind of surprising as well because Ross is a, a manager who will regularly change things quite quickly. Um if things aren't quite working in a, in a, a as the team lines up within half an hour, he, he he seems quite comfortable in doing that. And the players seem quite comfortable in doing that. And I was surprised by it with him. When you look at the Hibs bench when the midfield you're looking to bring on to try and do that is Stevie Mallon who again has been lambasted for in various ways he's not that sort of player so it's not fair to give him that sort of tag but if that's your option to bring on a central midfielder in, in order to try and win that and, and, and start changing the battle in midfield that's not your guy for it so it's Hal, Halberg is a, is a reasonable player but he's not what Gogic is and they don't have anybody else that can do what Gogic is which is a worry you'd say at this point Yeah they definitely missed him I think it it probably would have been a better game overall, like for the full 90. Yeah, I still think it wasn't a necessarily a bad game, but had Hibs got that opening goal, um, because I think they did start the better of the two teams. I think Aberdeen were maybe thrown a little bit by Hibs' shape, which uh, I likened on our group chat to the, the system that Rodgers used to like at Celtic, where they would basically play like either a you know, 4-2-3-1 or 4-1-4-1, whatever you want to call it. But the, the left sided midfielder, in this case, Dre Wright, and for Celtic it was nominally Scott Sinclair, would drift quite quite far in field, quite quite advanced, so almost like a, a second striker to whoever the lone striker was. And then you Celtic would push up Kieran Tierney very high as, as a winger, while on the opposite side, the Lustig would, would tuck in as a centre-back. So you'd have a system that was at the same time a 4-2-3-1 and also a 3-5-2. And Hibs were like that on Saturday. So Doig was just completely far advanced in the first half. And McGinn on the other side wasn't as much. And they kind of had that kind of almost, you know, imbalanced them. But I think it threw Aberdeen off. And I think the fact that Dre Wright played so well in like the opening 25, 30 minutes and then was fairly useless for the rest of the game tells you that once Aberdeen figured it out, then Hibs were in trouble. And Ross tried to change it up a couple of times. He went with a 3-5-2 just after the outer mark when he brought off Doig and brought on Allen but then changed it again within eight minutes, bringing on Gillen and just going like 
all out, two wingers, two forwards, the very wide attacking four four two. None of it worked. <laughs> like I said earlier, they didn't look like scoring. And as you say, they just they kind of it was hard for them to find a foothold in the game because they didn't have that guy in the centre part. But one other thing, and it's something that I think's been running throughout the season, even though he's still managed to score twice, is in a few games so far, I think Doy just looked to do a little too much for somebody that scored so often last season and he's not been getting into as many positions uh, to, to score goals. I think you saw that quite a lot on Saturday, second half, like getting the balls wide and he's not he's not in the positions you expect your free-scoring central striker it's, to be. It's kind of the opposite as to what he was at the start of last season. At the start of last season, he was in those positions, but he wasn't finishing it, whereas this year he seems to be not in those positions and, and playing maybe a little bit deeper, a little bit wider. And it's just not... Given that what we saw last year, if you put him in the position, it's, I don't know, seven times out of ten, he will score it. I think seven out of ten is probably maybe a bit, fight, a, bit, a, bit, a bit kind to him, perhaps. I don't know, given the way that his season started last year. But if you give him the chance, if he's, if he's in those areas, he has the ability. After, to after the start, once he'd scored. Yeah, once he, once, he, once he became hat-trick boy, he, he, was, he, he was fine <laughs> after that. Um, he needs thought, to go back to it. He needs to get the suit out. <laughs> I thought um, Portius was very good um, as well for the Bernie and he looked very, very comfortable in that. Him and Hanlon have both made very strong starts to the season and that is the positive still for the weekend in that Hibs, yeah, they lost their unbeaten record but they've still not conceded a goal for open play. They probably fucking should have. Uh, Ryan Hedges missed a really good chance. But then other than that, I don't think Aberdeen created too much in terms of clear-cut opportunities. So in terms of the back, they no longer... I think they look so far this season, they look less of a soft touch than they did under Lennon. And Lennon was the one that was always hammering them on about, you know, Hibs need to stop being a soft touch. But they still would, you know, concede some ridiculous goals and, you know, have games where they would randomly let in three or five at home at Rangers in a a 10-goal thriller. Uh, But I think that so far they have looked quite resolute. Uh, The defence seems a lot more uh, coherent. Nobody's making the mistakes that you can tend to associate with Hibs defenders. Portugal started the season very well. Hanlon started the season very well. McGinn's been excellent on the right. Doig has been, I mean, just, we could almost call him a revelation in that nobody is really calling for Lewis Stevenson to get back in the team. That's how well he's played. And yeah, if they could just kind of get a, a balance going further forward. And they have had a wee bit of problems with Doig not being fit enough at the start of the season. Nisbet missing time now. Uh, Boyle's uh, kind of been off it since the, the first game uh, they've now brought in Murphy Horgan as, as usual wasn't really at it so they're, they're still kind of finding the right, right blend up front and to have four wins a draw and a defeat from your first six results while you're still figuring out what you are going forward still it's, really positive for him it's, it's the big difference between this season and last season that they, they seem to be struggling to figure out what they were and not really winning games whereas this year they're still winning games and performing fine um, while not doing that as well just the only other thing I really had to add, had to add on this was that Aberdeen squad numbers are going to drive people fucking berserk this season as well <laughs> so at some point somebody's going to go on an absolute belter of a rant about it and I'm, all, I'm all for it because who cares I love when people get annoyed by squad numbers and that like, <laughs> on, on one other thing as well I even saw Curtis May and got a shot on target so fair play to the big laddie <laughs> right let's move on to a game that's Curtis Main would have actually quite appreciated this match, I think. Uh, Livingston versus Ross County. Lots of direct balls in this one. Uh, not probably the least watchable game from the entire weekend's football. Not uh, a whole lot to, to write home about. What did you make of it? I actually found the game really interesting. Um, did you? <laughs> I, I, I did like, 
I could not believe. I mean, I, I, I know we've talked to. I know another. This is a sort of fairly common theme for Livingston, but I could not believe how even for Livingston it felt more direct than usual. Um, the first half particularly, so, so I did a bit of digging. So Livingston crossed the ball forty-five times in this game, um, which is more than were in the St Johnston St Mirren game, the Hibs Aberdeen game, Celtic Motherwell game, Hamil- and Hamilton Rangers games. Each of the, like. Com- from both of those teams combined in each of those games, the only other team that came close was Dundee United with forty. The and second half was was I was a little bit more settled, but I thought that the way that County set up was an absolute shambles. Um, Kettlewell, for reasons known only to himself and his widow's peak, decided that what they were going to do is set up with a, a sort of back three with wing backs and Randall and Tremarco run ragged all day long. Yeah. The midfield got run, run ragged all day long because Levy just kept getting down the wings and fair play to them because there was so much space there. Yes, it's a lot of crosses, but if you've got that much time and space out in the wings, then absolutely go and do that and use that space because it was time and again, you had Randall and Tramarco just sort of looking around, looking for players because Livy get players wide and then have the, the full-backs bombing on as well. And they were, they were miles, miles away from it. It just seemed such an odd decision, it felt. Again, I, I'm aware that I, re- I reference everything in, in relation to Motherwell, but there we go. Um, it felt very similar to sort of Stephen Robinson deciding he's, he's going to go to Livingston and win the battle by playing a back three in a scrappy midfield. When in reality, what you need to do is try and stop Livingston be good. What stop cut down their angles in terms of the things that they're good at. They are good at getting the ball into the box and then winning second balls beyond that as well. So don't do that. Don't let them do that. I wonder. I wonder if they just did it so they could play five in midfield and have Stewart up top rather than on the left flank. Uh, because Possibly. that's the only thing I could really see, but I think they went direct to Stewart quite a lot as they do, and I, I was kind of wondering whether it's actually better for him to be on the left, even though I think Ford is his best position and then and he's the best player. So that doesn't really make much sense for what you would normally say. You normally say you know play your best players in their best positions, but when he wins a header on the left, I just kind of think right. So if he's left midfield and he wins in the balls. There's a diagonal punty towards him. He gets up and wins it. So beside him, or at least he puts the defender off. Beside them, there's going to be a number 10. The striker's not going to be too far away if he can flick it on. Uh, the left back will probably be not too far away from him, supporting. There might even be an armed midfielder around him. And I just felt a lot of times in this game, when he did make it hard on the Livingston defenders, or he did win a flick on, all it was really was Billy Mackay. And that was it. And if it wasn't anywhere near Mackay, Livingston were just getting the ball and it was just coming straight back again. Absolutely, and, and again, that's kind of the, the issue of the, the way they'd set up with the wing backs that they had. Connor Randall um, had uh, Tramarco, I think it was one of my worst performances of the weekend, um, and he only nods that on the basis that he got himself put off. Randall as well on the other side was just neither of them looked like they had any real idea of what they were, or, or, or anywhere close to, to being in the game in a in, in a positive way as well. And the fact that. It, they didn't change it at any point. At half time, you look at it and go, well, maybe we kind of got away, got away with it to a degree. So let's change it in the second half. Let's try and shut down the wings because that's where, that's where the ball is and that's where the ball's coming well, from. They didn't change just... it for five minutes because uh, I think they went at 3 4 3. So they changed it slightly, I think. Because uh, Garden looked like he was on the wing to start of the second half. But it was only, I don't know, I might be wrong because it literally lasted for six minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, I, th- I thought County were, were really poor. And it's a shame because uh, the, I've said uh, it was a couple of weeks ago I was talking about how Ross Stewart and I think he is the guy to play centre forward for them. And if you if you have him as centre forward, then at least you're occupying one of the Livingston centre centre halves. And at no point in the game did they look under any great pressure. Um, Effie Ambrose, the more that I watch him play for Livingston and playing at centre half, he is 
absolutely perfect for that role um, because the way that Levy are playing with the players getting wide as soon as there's a bit of space in front of them we can either play a pass through or more, more F.A. Ambrose essentially to just take the ball on a, on a stride out of defence because the way that Levy are spreading the pitch and making it wider and making it bigger there's going to be spaces available in the middle of the park and Ambrose having the ability that he has to just bust through that middle and take the ball and carry it 20-30 yards works yeah. perfectly for them works perfectly for him because he knows there's enough player to, players to cover him um, if he's going to be doing that I thought he, I, I thought he was terrific throughout the yeah, game as well I thought he was um, we, we've talked about it multiple times on the show already yeah. this season that we'd much prefer him to to Jack Fitzwater and Fitzwater has played well in the last couple of games and if he loses his place on the back of that that is a bit harsh but I just still think and I think this game proved it that F.A. Ambrose is just the better player I, I also enjoyed this is about the, the first game I've, I've seen Robbie McCrory not do something mental um, which <laughs> getting, maybe getting a Scotland call up has been the, the turning point that he really needed to just turn into a very sensible goalkeeper rather than doing doing, doing banana stuff as well um, but yeah it's and everything in the game as well just felt like a sort of a a bad idea for, for Ross County as well even the goal um, which I mean Guthrie as well standing alongside Ambrose was brilliant all day long and, and the winning the header that he did was a very good goal and a very good header but they'd had they did exactly the same thing at a corner like 10 minutes previous to that as well in terms of playing it short to Serrano who whipped the ball in and they did it, and then they did it, did it for the goal. He just got a slightly better crossing, but it was exactly the same play and County just didn't react to somebody um, coming in late Really, Livingston in the second half, they stopped going as long themselves. They knocked it about more. I thought they used the width of the pitch quite well. I thought the sub of Holt for Sybold was also quite good. Sybold had one of his quieter games and Holt was quite lively. And he's somebody, if you're wanting to kind of use the width of the pitch in terms of passing it, Holt was definitely somebody you want doing that because you'll always kind of scurry around and keep things, generally keep things simple, but can also kind of drive forward into the penalty area as well on occasion. Uh, what was I, I was going to ask you? Any complaints at all about the red card? No, none whatsoever. No. <laughs> Both of them are absolutely stick on stick on yellow cards. Um, can, I, saw... I can kind of see where County are coming from for the second one, and it, it looks a fairly innocuous challenge. But because he he thinks about kind of putting his arm on him, and then he doesn't, and he pulls his hands up, but he incidentally clips somebody's foot. If that happens in the centre of the park, yeah, I think they have every right to say that's far too harsh a decision because when you get to see it first time you think oh, it's not a lot of contact there he's not, clearly not meant it this is a bit harsh but you have to think where that is in the pitch he has taken down Devlin Devlin's just got by him to the byline inside the penalty area like once once he's by him there he's, he's going to be you know in the box at the byline with you know a great opportunity to try and pick somebody out that's denying a promising attack and denying a promising attack is a booking under the rules so he may feel harshly done by so might Kettlewell some referees might have let them away with it, but overall, it's not bad. It's definitely not the wrong decision. As, as always, fouls are not all the same. Fouls are, con- are, are contextual in terms of where they are in the park and, and the, the significance of them. And that one, you look at it and go, well, he's, it, it falls very much in the category of being sent off for stupidity in my book, which, again, is exactly what he, he just got it wrong, made a mistake, did a daft thing, and then got put off for it. So, realistically, you're already on a book and is there a great complaint in that? Nah, not really. Um, one of the things that I have massively enjoyed um, about, while obviously watching games of football with no fans at it is, is undeniably rubbish, um, the best thing about it by miles is hearing Highland accents um, in Ross County games. Just guys just shouting at like Highland guys, which I presume is um, with Richie Britton maybe, I don't know, any, any of the various Highland coaching staff just shouting stuff in Highland accents because it's always so polite because I, I don't know, 
being from being from Lanarkshire and, and mainly being pals with people from the central belt, everything sounds kind of aggressive. But then when you're shouting stuff for a Highland accent, it just sounds like everyone's just having a lovely time, a lovely day out at the golf. Well, I I enjoyed. It wouldn't have been. It was a, definitely wasn't a Highland accent, but there was a, a shout of "Oh, for fuck's sake!" after a, <laughs> a Scott Pittman missed that sitter in seven minutes. It was very good. That was that was absolutely some sort of Livingston Livingston accent in there as well. But the the Highland shouts are, are absolutely fantastic as well. Uh, before we finish up, what did you think of Lars Lukoch? Is that I was going to I was going to go I was thinking about this as well, and kind of so. Uh, while obviously losing Dykes is a bad thing. Um, for Livingston in the longer term well maybe not longer term because you've got a whole pile of, like a suitcase full of cash for them um, which is a good thing um, but for Scottish teams just now if you have players who are wanted by teams down south or other teams in Scotland it is quite I imagine it is a massive distraction um, because everyone's I think everyone is well aware that Dykes is going to be leaving Livingston like Turnbull is going to be leaving Motherwell Ross Stewart there's every chance he's going to be leaving Ross County and so you're kind of building your team around these guys in the meantime because you can't leave them out because they're they're very good players and that's why that's why they're in the why team. Why other clubs want them? Eh? Yeah, exactly. But it, it can't be an easy way to play um, because every every training session you're aware like well Lyndon's gonna we're, we're gonna work on Lyndon doing striker stuff and in the in the sort of subconsciously at the back of your mind you're looking at it going well what's the point though because in three weeks time we've got somebody else coming in to do that job so realistically how much. How much time do I need to commit to this in the meantime? Because in a week's time, we'll have signed Lars Lockettish um, to, to, to come in and we'll need to teach him how to do it and we'll need to see how he plays and then things will change. So I can understand where it's coming from. Ultimately, I, I thought he was okay. Um, I think both him and Serrano look like decent pickups. Yeah. Um, the stuff there to work with. Like he, won, he won a couple of headers. There was uh, one of the, oh, the, when he headed it against the crossbar, the, the build up to that move. Uh, kind of started with a long ball where he done quite well under pressure from uh, one of the county defenders that wasn't Watson, in, I, think, I think it was what was it Watson? Watson where he kind of manages to hold him off and chest it down for Pittman that was quite impressive so there was a couple of moments there he's, he doesn't appear to have the, well he doesn't have the mobility of Dykes but who knows he might you know Dykes wasn't necessarily that much of a regular goal scorer um, maybe he can provide more in that sense because he's already you know that's one start and he's had the header off the bar, so who knows? Maybe, thought, uh, maybe, maybe it will turn out to be a, a decent replacement. I thought both of them uh, were not sort of. Over, you see, guys come and play in the Scottish Premiership who are immediately kind of overawed by the pace, of the whole thing. And because we watch it every week, I think you kind of forget that that it's that's not normal. That's not like of all Scottish football is uh, across the continent. I struggle. I, I've I re- you rarely see a league which is quite as relentless as ours is in terms of the pace and there were a few times that both Serrano and Lokotic turned round and just found a player there that they just had no anticipation of being there like oh, I've got a bit of time I've got a bit of space I'll take the touch I'll turn and then they've lost the ball because there's a guy, a guy that appears and ultimately the test for these guys as always is whether it takes them three games six games half a season to get up to speed and understand that you don't have the time you don't have the you can have all the ability in the world as a first touch but if you don't then move it or turn it or step away from someone then that's that's how you survive in this league essentially is being able to deal with that level of pace and, and, and relentless hassling that you get from us Right, I think that'll do us Thank you very much for joining me Graham Thanks Craig Thanks for stepping up to the plate at the last moment. I forgot to mention that. Uh, Tony phoned in sick this morning, so Graham was quickly drafted in, but uh, a, a top-class performance. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers.
and Robert Borthwick. Hello, what a weird intro that was for me. <laughs> <laughs> I just pretended it like I was saying it at the start, because you always last, so I thought you'd appreciate that. No, it's good. I, I really did. I got, uh, actually got a bit of a fright. I thought you'd coughed or something. But there you go, Robert Borthwick's here. Hello. <laughs> good start, referring to yourself in the third person. Right, what, a ple- <laughs> what a pleasure it is. You're here to talk about, you're basically our old firm correspondent for this weekend. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> he says def- he frustratingly rubs his eyes in the Zoom call. That's definitely definitely the games I really wanted to catch up on from the weekend. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of drama for either of them, but some talking points. And we'll, we'll begin with the one that I think was the more interesting of the two. Might not necessarily be the better game, uh, mm. but the one that I think was certainly something you can... We can debate over uh, Celtic beating Motherwell 3-0 on Sunday. The match was on Sunday because uh, Motherwell's uh, participation in the Europa League on Thursday. And uh, Neil Lennon just trolling everyone, really. Uh, the media, everybody's Scottish football, his board, his fans, the Celtic fans who are no longer fans of his, his own team probably as well. Just picking the same lineup that started against Ferris Varos, the one he was criticised for so heavily, not just from the media, in fact, probably less. He probably got, probably got less of a hard time from the media than he did from Celtic supporters. And yet yeah. he just stuck a, a middle finger up at every, everybody and just went, saw that I'm doing it again. It's almost as if Neil Lennon has a lot of friends in the media. Almost. I mean, who would say, I'm not saying that. And you can just deduct that for yourself. Um, yeah, so the Celtic fans were utterly, utterly furious, um, obviously after the Fenich Varos game, and see when he just named the exact same starting 11, pretty sure it was the same subs as well, I just stood up and applauded, I was in the bedroom, <laughs> I, was like, this is, I was like, this is absolutely phenomenal, because he knows, he knows that Celtic are going to get a result in this game. And he was just sort of like, ah, well, it works sometimes. And that's the sort of abrasive character that we've come to love in Neil Lennon. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, Klamala uh, and Ayeti both came on um, later on in the game. But yeah. But that's what I was going to say. I still, don't, I still don't think it worked as well as he assumed it would work. I think he kind of thought that they would have easily been the better team uh, against Motherwell and been ahead. And then he could introduce his forwards, which. What a, two of those three things happened. <laughs> they were ahead, uh, and he did introduce the forwards later on. But they weren't, they weren't good. They were not good at all in the first half. They, they really lacked any sort of punch in an attack. They were, I'd say they were actually very fortunate to be leading at halftime. Uh, there wasn't really even... I mean, Celtic obviously had a lot more position than you would expect them to do, but... They really troubled Motherwell. Motherwell defended very well in the first half, but it helped through Celtic not having a striker. And yeah. they, were, they, were, they were fortunate to be leading at halftime because they only really had one great opportunity. Uh, that was Forrest's goal. He scored via the aid of a deflection. And without that, I think... Well, even no, even without it, because I was going to say that the kind of point I was leading up to is that fans just still weren't buying it after the game at all. I mean, you, you can see the fucking occasional happy clappers just be like, oh, it's fucking victory. But you can see a lot of them were still pissed off and saying like, yeah, it was good. Good to get the three points. Good to get a victory. But we only actually started playing once you brought on a forward. And I think that showed you why he was so daft in midweek and why you know why you've got two forwards there you say okay neither of them are sharp enough or much fit enough or whatever but clearly both of them are fit enough to play 45 minutes just play a half each 
I think it, the main reason is that I can, you can just tell he doesn't seem to fancy Kamala as much. Uh, so whoever he's trying to make a point to by playing Christie up front, or maybe for the Ferns Varos game, he maybe just thought that Christie would be a better option. Because if you, if you look at Ryan Christie, so he's, you know, he's, he's fast, he's, he's elusive, he, he works very hard, he's got good technique, he's a good finisher. But what was, I didn't see the Ferris Bowers game, but for me watching the Marvel game, the, the, the struggle with him is that he doesn't have the spatial awareness of a forward because he doesn't play up front. So when they're, you know, trying to find any, you know, sliver of space around, among this model rearguard, having Christie not knowing exactly what to do didn't help. And as soon as no, Kamala no. came on at halftime, Kamala, to me, doesn't look great. I can understand why Lennon doesn't fancy. I mean, it certainly doesn't look like fucking Edward or somebody like, or Griffiths when he's at his best. And even a Jetty's looking better than him already for the little I've seen. But he's still a forward and he's not terrible. He's not fucking Amido Baldi. There is something about him. Just play him as a forward. Because you see when he came on, right away in the first 50 seconds, he made a good run to the left, made a good run to the right, uh, like different moves. And each time a Celtic player was able to find them with a direct ball, which was something that just wasn't happening with Christie at all. And I wonder even if the Celtic players themselves don't really feel comfortable just knocking a ball into Ryan Christie. Why would they? He's not a striker. Yeah. And he's not he's not got that um that sort of wherewithal to take the ball um, you know, even back to goal and hold it up for a wee bit and then pass it off to someone else. That's not his game in the slightest. I think with Klamala coming on, you've got, I think you're spot on compared to other players in that Celtic team, that is a limited footballer. Um, but he is still a striker. And you look, I mean, the very, very best example was as obvious as it could possibly be when he made the run that gave Julian the space to score the third. And that was him just being a striker. Yeah. Being a striker, just running across the, 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 the two defenders uh, and then obviously hoping to drag one away so you can get a midfielder or for some reason a centre-half powering forward uh, and thumping it into the bottom corner. And that's like, that, that for me, I've always appreciated that sort of run as much as I appreciate the assist because I think that that's what gives the player um, that sort of freedom to go and do that. And yeah, I, I think it was interesting when you said like if Lennon is proving a point by not playing Klamala, uh, and if that is maybe more pointed at um, internal politics rather yeah. than fans, um, and that that does seem like exactly the sort of thing you Lennon would do. So that that probably is the case. But then you know you you look at it, and you know we we are Hearts fans. We've seen plenty of midfielders played up front for absolutely no good reason, and it very very rarely ever works. You know you don't have to just look at an immensely talented Celtic team to say this probably isn't going to do it. Um, so yeah it was Celtic go through phases um, and it seems to be like a sort of peak and trough thing where sometimes they are absolutely unstoppable it uh, doesn't matter if that's under Neil Lennon Brendan Rodgers whoever unstoppable play fantastic football score three, four, five times a week and then you get other times where they sleepwalk but they still get the victories. This is domestically, obviously, not talking about Europe. So they're going through a sleepwalking phase just now. Um, you know, the, the players are so conditioned to winning and they are so much more superior to the vast, vast majority of the opposition in the SPFL and the Premiership. So I think they're kind of going through that phase just now, but then you're always expecting them to just sort of click and then that'll be it again. And that'll probably be the reintroduction of Edward when he comes back. And then, you know, you'll see that the, the quality is there and they'll start kicking on again. But I mean, the last... Not even, not even just the the Ferenc Varos game. There was there was a couple of weeks previous that Celtic haven't been firing all yeah. cylinders. Kelly game, Dundee United game, they didn't look 
particularly yeah. convincing either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in both of those games, and I think like, obviously we're going to speak about Rangers in a wee bit as well, but neither side, <laughs> no side in the Scottish Premiership has completely blown me away with their start of the season so far. I think every team is quite fallible. They've all got their own uh, down points in Celtic, obviously. I mean, we're, we're currently obviously looking at the striker situation. Um, but... You, <laughs> Ryan Christie has been a problem for me when he's played in midfield this season as well. So there's, you know, there's been issues um, throughout. And I think that, like you were saying, they were lucky to go on one ahead um, at half time. They did deserve the win in the end. I don't think it was a 3 0, uh, to be honest. I think Motherwell actually played all right and they, they sort of held their own uh, more than enough, especially considering this is their worst start to a league season in 20 odd years. It, it, it kind of didn't feel like that was the team that Celtic were playing against. Yeah, I thought the mother won the first half. I thought played quite well. Um, second half, I don't know whether it was them uh, or Celtic like, taking it up a gear, but Mother, you know, barely even reached the Celtic box in the second period. It was just kind of constant attack. Like I say, I think that helped with Kamal coming on. And I also think the change to a 3 5 2 made them better as well. Even it was quite weird to start when I was like, what the f- what's going on here? And then James Forrest was like the left wing back. And I thought, what? But it did work. Um, helped get Frimpong on. That, that enabled Frimpong to come on, and he was very good down the right. Also meant, you know, Christie was able to go in his natural position in the centre. Although Christie, I thought, played quite well when he was moved to the left. Um, and Christie obviously played a part in the, the second goal, the, the, game, the goal that kills the game off. A really good kind of cross field pass under pressure to Christopher Iyer. And that's another thing as well, with Celtic are playing a three, can it unleashes Iyer to do a bit more? Because he can do it as a, as a centre-back too anyway, but he obviously can't go too far or he, or any time he goes, he needs to make sure that Scott Brown can drop in or if not Brown, somebody else. So he doesn't quite have as much freedom. If he's part of a three and he's on one either side, then he can really just you know power on as much as he wants. And he's always a threat by doing that because as we, I think, often forget that Christopher Iyer was signed by Celtic as an attacking midfielder that they just earmarked as this guy's going to be a centre-half and then spent the, the rest of, well, spent every kind of minute as soon as he arrived at Celtic converting him into a centre-half. But he still could have got those instincts and he's still very good uh, in advanced areas for a defender. And it was a good pass, pick out, good finish. And yeah, Celtic just, that obviously killed the game. But I did love the Julian goal. Uh, things you love to see. Uh, centre-back winning the ball, just charging forward with abandon. Uh, and, then an end it. and what an emphatic finish. As well. I was kind of wondering when he kind of rolled back. I was like, what's going to happen here? <laughs> uh, and you could tell that Klamala was a bit raging that his uh, centre-back uh, can finish better than he can. It was um, the the two goals in the second half just reminded me of sort of like Renford reject style, just kicking it as hard as you can past a hopeless goalkeeper, and that's pretty much what Ajeti and uh, and Julian did. But no, it, it's yeah, I, I think Ayer and uh, Julian. I, I know that Lennon was obviously speaking previously about players that want out of the club. Uh, and there was obviously rumours that Ayer was maybe one of those players, uh, rumours of, of sort of deals to get away. But he seemed to really be enjoying his time on the pitch, Chris Ayer, um, on, on Saturday and Sunday, sorry. Um, his celebration for his assist was amazing. And obviously when the, you've not got the crowd noise and stuff like that, you just hear Christopher Ayer above everyone else going absolutely mental. And it's like, ah, no, you, you seem happy enough, man. Maybe it's just because he's Norwegian and they're happy anyway. But Did you hear Forrest after the first one? Yes! Fucking yes! So I didn't know if that was a celebration that was like pointed towards Declan Gallagher because he scores the goal, uh, Forrest, and he just sort of stands there for a wee bit and seems to be looking for Gallagher. 
and then runs like runs sort of right past him screaming yes and all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, is there a wee bit of, am I just manufacturing beef here? I mean, maybe maybe it was just taking a while to realise it was actually a goal. I don't know. Well, let's look, let's uh, let's wonder whether uh, let's keep a close eye in the papers in the, in the coming days to find out if Forrest's leg has been broken at fifteen bits in a tackle at training uh, for Scotland. Oh God, right enough. Um, I suppose like the, the one other thing that I noticed from this game is it time to have the annual has Scott Brown's legs gone uh, conversation or are we just going to... I think we've already kind of had that previous week. They don't want to do it every week. They don't look a bit slow again in this game. Aye, I, I really... Uh, I, 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 I kind of loved his booking for his tack on uh, Mugabe when he was just like the big lad just sprinted right past him and Brown was like, oh, fuck it, like, <laughs> I can't be arsed. I'm just going to absolutely make sure that I tear this boy down. Um, yeah, he just, he, I suppose we, we said it before Brendan Rodgers came in as well. Uh, he looks slower, visually mm-hmm. looks slower than he He looks. He looked very heavy-footed in the, the moment where, it wasn't his fault really, it was El Hamid's fault, I could have really put a pass towards him. Uh, but Chris Long, I think, snuck in and that eventually led to Tony Watt's chance yeah they can narrow angle but Brown still did look a, a lot slower than he would have done even a couple of years ago mm-hmm. yeah I mean okay. it eventually has to happen I mean one of these times he keeps he keeps on being like everybody keeps writing me off or I keep proving them wrong and yeah that is there is something to that and well done but I wouldn't be so smug about it because ultimately we are going to be right no, no footballer just keeps playing forever at the same standard he might, yeah, he might. He's not, know. he's not, he Rob, might, he's not going to do it. <laughs> he might be the one. <laughs> Bionic man. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, what did you think about Motherwell's showing? Um, like, like I sort of touched upon earlier, impressed is maybe not the right word, um, but maybe surprised, just given their, their league position, uh, given the way they've started the season, given the fact that it was at Parkhead. Um, and yeah, I, I think that there was promise and signs um, in different elements of their game, but they never really came together at the same time. So you've got like uh, Mugabe, previously mentioned, looks to properly be coming on to a bit of a game, uh, looks very decent, Liam Polworth. Obviously, since David Turnbull left um, four days ago, uh, Polworth now seems to be getting an opportunity, which is something that I've kind of, obviously from a from a distance, um, been shouting about. Because why, when you're looking for creativity, when you can't score any goals, would you leave out a guy that is known for getting assists and known for scoring um, out of nothing quite occasionally? I mean, he had a, a reasonable enough pot shot in that game that went just wide. So, yeah, it, it's good to see him, obviously, coming back into the team. Um just real concerns with their forwards. Uh, Jordan White is nowhere near mobile enough. Uh, Tony Watt needs confidence, but has needed confidence for about six and seven years now. Um, and I'm just not sure. I mean, the, the concerns were from right at the start of the season where their goals are going to come from. I know obviously they scored five in midweek against 10-man Glen Torren. Um, but it's a totally different thing when you're coming up against better opposition in the Scottish Premiership. So that, for me, is still the biggest concern. Um Trevor Carson, again, good goalkeeper, uh, made some decent saves in that game. So, as I say, there's elements all over the pitch that are all right. Um, but some things for me just, yeah, like, you know, Liam Grimshaw playing left wing back. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> Not for me, Clive. Uh, <laughs> well, there's no- there's signs of some decent stuff in the first half. I think uh, 
long and what I think we're a decent partnership to, to start off front away to Celtic the guys who are kind of mobile enough willing to run the channels who can get in kind of those spaces in between centre-backs and Celtic slow-backs who are always going to be a bit more advanced um, Polworth and Campbell a couple of times done well to kind of get up in support they just really got run off the park in the second half didn't they they weren't yeah. in the game at all but you have to kind of wonder how much the the goal just before half time completely knocked the stuffing out of them as well. So some yeah. little promising signs, but nothing really to get too carried away about. They they a team I think more than any desperately need the international break. Yeah, yeah, 100%. they need to find something. Yeah, speaking of big big seal, big Graham Sealus as well. Um, you mentioned the sort of Marco Hara conundrum. Um, just seems like a square peg in a round hole a wee bit just now. Um, he's he's kind of a backup for Polworth and also a backup for uh, Donnelly and also a backup for Campbell, but he's not as good as any of them at what they do. Um, it's kind of just about finding, you know, using Michael Harrow for what he's good at, which is driving forward, mm-hmm. not necessarily defensively, but obviously with Liam Donnelly out, um, he has had to come in and, and cover a more sort of defensive role. So, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I, I think you sort of mentioned, uh, made the point that Motherwell's paid money for this guy. You know, this is someone who should be, um, you know, properly taking hold of that midfield, especially with the, the sale of Turnbull and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's not really happening for him just now. No doubt he's a good player, but it's about playing his strengths rather than using him as a, a sort yeah. of lopsided backup. Yeah, but Rob, that doesn't really matter. What about his social media profile? What about his social media image? What about it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what really matters, Rob. Come on. That is true. That is true. Yeah, what's the brand? <laughs> right, let's move on to the final game of the weekend to talk about. I didn't think this was the the least uh, exciting game to watch. Uh, maybe not exciting is the wrong word, but I thought it was still very, fairly entertaining from, for most part. Uh, the con- even though the contest was done within 20 minutes, you're still, I thought Rangers played some decent football and it was almost kind of fun to marvel at how Pish Aki's were for most of it, uh, but it's probably <laughs> the least interesting to talk about. Yeah, I, I mean, once again, Rangers um, away from home on a plastic pitch create more than 23 chances uh, on goal, which is staggering. I mean, it's not that staggering when you look at the attacking strength that they have. But I think, you know, the only difference is this time uh, from the Livingston game a few weeks ago is that they got two tap-ins, um, both from poor defender. I think, yeah, it's maybe a bit harsh to blame the keeper for tavern years. It was a decent enough strike from Kent. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get the feeling when Rangers go up early in games, um, or just when they go up generally in games, so the St. Johnston game a few weeks ago is another sort of example, it turns into a training match. They've got so much faith in their defence that they won't ship a couple of goals to the likes of St. Johnston or Hamilton. And it becomes quite pedestrian and quite... It's maybe interesting for tacticians out there to see the sort of shapes that Rangers are trying out when this happens. So you've maybe sometimes got Hadji going out left, going out right, going through the middle, and you can see they're trying some different transitions. But otherwise, it's not that fun to watch because they, they tend to just rest on the fact that they've got the two goals um, and if chances come along, then obviously they'll they'll have a pop. Um, I know, especially in this one, like Kamar Roof, maybe should have had a couple of goals. Um, had you had another good strike, I mean, they did have decent chances, but it does just feel, yeah, pedestrians kind of the the word for it. And that's absolutely a great place for Rangers to be just now, is being in a position whereby they can be up in games and and take it that easy. Um, I, I think it'd be a little harsh. I think they were slightly above pedestrian in terms of their gears. I'd say they were in. 
Third gear. <laughs> <laughs> this guy doesn't so, drive. So like, I, I, I was going to say, what's the pedestrian gear? First, first, first or second? Park. <laughs> first, first would be pedestrian. I think. Okay, first. we're using this. We're <laughs> delving deep into this metaphor. I know we're, we're jumping right into. Um, they were at least in second gear. Let's. Uh, I would say third. I think there was there was quite a lot of decent movement around the the final third. I mean, I don't know. I think you might have been a bit harsh on them because they didn't have really have anything to beat. <laughs> Which isn't really their fault. For about 90 minutes, Aki's were in reverse. <laughs> anyway. Um, I, think that, yeah. uh, I think that car was in a fucking lake. Thinking. <laughs> I think, um, you're right. I, do you know what? I, I probably am being a bit harsh, but I feel like I'm getting um, Rangers blindness because I've now been forced to watch them so many times. <laughs> but I, promise, like, I promise next time you come on, I'll, I'll give you another game other than Rangers. Thank you. Um, no, I, I think the main, the main thing for me is in that... Rangers team, there's a bunch of players that I really enjoy watching. So obviously Barisic, I've always I've always had a soft spot for Tavernier, um, sort of galloping down the right hand side all the time and getting into the six yard box. Big fan of that. Haji, Kent, Ruth. Um Even Kent, Bart- Kent, Kent was brilliant. Kent, Kent was fantastic. Kent was great. And he, he just sometimes um when he's properly on it like that, everything just seems completely effortless. And then you realise the pace at which he's doing it and you're like, oh fuck, yeah, yeah. I can see why Leeds want him. Um, is some of his touches and his wee chops, uh, his wee chops to get inside his man and all that kind of stuff. He's 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 a joy to watch uh, when he's in full flow. So now he he was great. And as I say, I think it was maybe just because there are so many talents in that Rangers, especially uh, in an attacking sense. And that when when they are a wee bit more not pedestrian uh, third gear, then that's. <laughs> It's maybe it's maybe just uh, it's not living up to my own expectations of I, what they're capable of. I think I because they should have after the first twenty minutes. I think they should have stuck about five past Aki's. Uh, and I think the I think the way to describe them, I thought they were a bit careless at times in the final third and doing things that maybe you wouldn't have been doing at nil nil or one nil. And I think that's just kind of natural for a team like Rangers. Rangers, you think I've seen Celtic do the same at times, where. You're just kind of snatching at stuff, or you're, or you're trying to hit stuff first time because it looks more emphatic, looks better, kind of thing. And it's just that subconscious kind of seeps in where you're like, well, we've already got this one. Let's do something special. Like Rory McKenzie. Rory yeah. McKenzie. Like I'd said this earlier to Craig Kids. Rory McKenzie is not fucking attempting that shot if it's 0 0 or even 1 0. No. No. He's doing it because they're 3 0 up and the game's done. <laughs> So it happens to every football and every club. And I think Rangers kind of, as a collective, maybe get, um, maybe are more guilty of that more often than, than most teams. Yeah. And they will want to cut that out because goal difference might be a factor come the end of the season. The way that Rangers have started, mm-hmm. you have to think, as you said, Celtic will probably pick up. And it might, it's been decided before. The titles have been decided on goal difference. So it is something to watch out for. And yeah, they should have scored more. Uh, there was... There was some unlucky ones. There was some not bad kind of last stitch defended from Aki's and a few. I think Hadji had a couple that looked uh, destined to the back of the net that were blocked. Kent was quite unlucky. And as you said, Roof, Roof should have scored a couple. Barker's performance yeah, was really worth talking about. Did he play well or did he not? Define well. <laughs> <laughs> It's so, funny because he was a, he was a pest. He was a pain. He was involved loads. He gives Aki something to think about constantly, but he's so many times he like makes a wrong decision or 
just fucks up at the last moment and it's like, are you having a good game or are you not? That, that, that's kind of, that's just Brandon Barker, isn't it? That's what, you know, that, that's why he left, uh, that's why he left Man City um, for sort of reasons like that. His final product has always been questionable. He's one of these guys that when he gets it right, he gets it really right. Um, but that is still so inconsistent. It, it's interesting to see um, quite how much sort of faith Gerard is putting into Barker. He's getting a lot more game time than your Greg Stewart's and your Jordan Joneses and all these guys. Um, and he's he's seen as more trustworthy than them, which is interesting considering the lack of final product, the decision making. Um, but obviously the the potential must be there um, ahead of these other guys that Gerard has at his disposal. Would I say he had a good game? Mm. No, <laughs> it depends. On, <laughs> it depends. It depends on the output at the end of it. Like it's it's all fine and well that you know you can sort of drag defenders this way and that way, but then if you punt it out the park, then it's it's for absolutely nothing. You know, you, you've got the you've got the the sort of the fun little nice bits um, out of the way, but then you, you're offering nothing at the end of it. It's something that actually. Um, was a bit of a relief that Yanis Hadji um, had one of his better games because I've not been hugely impressed with him since the start of the season. I think he's he's been a wee bit off the boil, but he was better um, on Saturday. But yeah, Brandon Barker had a good bad game or a bad good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brandon Barker had a bad good game. Bad. Okay. Yeah. Right. Let's let's uh, move on to our keys before we finish up the show. <laughs> I think <laughs> fans fans were you not happy. You, you looked delighted about doing that. <laughs> fans were not happy when the team came out, and so it proved to be because having last week, so I can maybe understand why Rice done it because last week they started with quite an attacking unit, and it didn't necessarily lead to attack and play. And I think they actually only scored the winner once guys like Moyle and Templeton and somebody else who I can't quite remember had been taken off. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that was part of his thinking, but the, I mean the team was just so plodding. Was the, the plodding is that right? No, like industrious, like but no, like what's the imagination in this midfield? Scott Martin, Ross Callahan, Charlie Trafford, Regan Mimno. Which, by the way, I don't want to be really harsh on a young player, but when we talk about players having great names, that is not a great name. I disagree. I think it's a wonderful. You like you like Regan Mimno. Regan Mimno, 100%. He sounds, he sounds completely made up. <laughs> exactly, that's not a good name. No, all it is, it's, it's two noises. You want, a name like, you want a name like you've come out of a comic book? Mimno. I, I love that, I'm sorry, I do. Even the way it's spelt, it's great. And Andy, Andy, Andy Winter. Andy Winter is the most creative of that midfield by a mile and he's about fucking 19 or something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Mimno is a, seems like a decent kind of tidy passer, uh, but I mean... To have Ross Callahan as your number, well, not even really a number 10, this is the most advanced of your centre midfield, and Scott Martin on the right wing. Yeah. Dear God, man, are you, are you trying to create anything? Well, that, that's, that's kind of it. Like, when I saw it, I was like, is Templeton injured again? He probably is. He's always injured. Is that, is that maybe what? No, unused sub. <sighs> no, he came... Oh, no, he, is. he was unused. That, that, was the other, that was the other player that started against uh, Motherwell, I forgot. Uh, Justin Johnson. He never came yes. on either. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're only you're only two and at home, but it's it's funny because anytime the 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 old firm come to town, um, teams like Hamilton um, tend to tinker a little bit with their lineup. So they they obviously they try and play to what they think the opposition is going to do, 
Um, and more often than not, they lose because the opposition team are better. But then, you know, you've got other times where um, they've played like two up front. They put a four-four-two, two wingers, two strikers, and they get absolutely thumped. I think <laughs> he's got. Think and everyone's like, "Why on earth are you doing that?" So it's kind of like a it's a, stuck between a rock and a hard place. I well, think, I think Brian Rice, to, when it when it comes to whether he's going to play uh, attacking football and sometimes ridiculously attacking football, or he's going to play ridiculously defensive football, I think he's kind of got like a a magic eight ball. <laughs> it's like, well, will I win with attacking football today? Don't count on it. When it says try again later, it's just like, fuck it, Callahan number 10. There you go. <laughs> he kept getting try again later. It's like that scene for Friends where Ross uh, keeps doing it. <laughs> Does it work? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. It is, as I say, it's one of those things. Like you can, you can try and attack them. You can try and defend against them. More often than not, you probably will get beaten unless you are Livingston, in which case you'll probably get a result. Um, but yeah, it's... It wasn't considering the sort of uh, the you know the forty five minutes in the second half last week. Aki's were quite good fun to watch. Absolutely none of that, none of that in this game whatsoever. Um, but then, what do you really expect? It, it is a story well told uh, that we see more often than not. I expect them to have a little bit more of a goal than they did. That's what I expected. Maybe a right winger who's actually a right winger. How about that? We start well, maybe. With that. Small maybe. steps. Maybe. How, about, maybe. How, about, how about not Ross Callaghan? I was about to say, maybe an attacking midfielder that's not Ross Callaghan, but you're spot on just maybe not Ross Callaghan. Uh, I shouldn't have been specific. Maybe I've him as part of the sitting too. Him and Martin just running about everywhere, fucking things up and giving the ball to players who could play with it. Yeah, be, tell you what, get Brian Rice on the phone right now. We've, we've got the Ross Callaghan solution for you. <laughs> Trust us, we saw him. <laughs> he needs to make those late runs in the box that's his key attribute not number that's 10 it. the runs can't be that late then that's it he needs to uh, try and round goalkeepers at the most ridiculous angles you've ever seen um, oh man got, got to love Ross Callahan. and we have to love you as well love you and leave you Rob oh yeah no good <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, finishing on the Rangers game and then going even further and finishing on Ross Callahan. That's what I start to the week. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me and thank you to everybody for listening. Make sure to also listen to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. Just hours and hours of top class content. Wouldn't you agree, Rob? I absolutely would 100% agree with that, yes. Sign up. Give us your money. Yes, please. <laughs> We yes. like money. Yes, please. We managed to organise our first night out of the, well, not of the year, because we did have the hospitality in uh, January, but we've got one organised for November, hoping that we can all do that without breaking the law. <laughs> Good luck. If, if not, we'll just we'll separate and uh, go in different cities, obviously. Stay safe, yeah. everyone. Bye. Right, goodbye. Bye.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.